Hello and welcome to another episode of the Monday Night Wars. It is January 15th, 1996. We are with WCW Nitro at the Knight Center in Miami, Florida. I am Scott. With me is Joseph. How are you, Joseph? I'm fantastic, Scott. How are you? I am excited. Do you know why I'm excited, Joseph? Why is that? We have hit a milestone with this episode. This is This is show 20. Whoa, that's big. But let's get into it because we got our first match. We've got Lex Luger and we've got Randy Savage. Of note, Randy Savage is the number one contender for the World Heavyweight Championship. And Lex Luger lays his ass out in five minutes, 10 seconds. They kind of doing the macho man dirty here, Joseph, I feel like. What do you think about this? This is your boy. Yeah, you're not wrong. He gets steamrolled, and he's the number one contender. Are they putting him over, or are they burying him? What are they doing? I don't know. It's weird. They're, like, doing both, right? Like, he's in the spotlight. He's definitely there. He's, he's, He's a featured player. But they're doing this thing with him, and they've been doing it for weeks where, like, he's just the guy that everybody beats up. Like, he's in he's in the main events, but he's the guy that, that every heel seemingly, although, you know, Luger isn't isn't quite the heel that, as far as we know. You know, who, who who's to say, really? Who knows? But, but the, he's always getting beat up, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's a little frustrating, obviously, with me being, being a macho fan. That being said, the match is pretty good. I mean, Macho comes out wearing pink, green, orange, and black, and my God, it's good. The weird thing is, if this was the Four Horsemen with Luger versus Mach and Hogan exclusively and no Dungeon of Doom, I really think I would love this whole story. But it just, I mean, again, they're just kind of missing the mark with this Dungeon of Doom stuff. Obviously, Kevin Sullivan's pushing his boys. That's his crew. I get it. I can I can get it all all I need to and still not like it. It's not enjoyable, but this match is fun. Mach came into this match with the disadvantage of being banged up already, and Luger spends the time in this match utilizing that. He he takes his time to actually engineer a win. You know, he's picking on certain body parts. He utilizes that to help him win and does so in a decisive way. So really for Luger I do think this does a great job for him. It's it, it doesn't. I don't hate what it does to Mach. I'm not overly fond of what it does to Mach, but Mach does a great job putting over Luger. And Mach has to miss his elbow. Like he misses his elbow, and that leads to the torture rack. So at least you you give Mach the appearance of he had the position of potentially winning, and he didn't. So honestly, as far as an opening segment goes. I did kind of enjoy it. I mean, yeah, it's my boy, and I don't like seeing him lose, you know, but you can't always win. This is a fun opener. So this is kind of the Ahmed Johnson conversation coming back around, right? Because we talked about how they just keep giving Ahmed Johnson these jobbers, and he's just rolling through these jobbers, and it's boring. Do you think this is the correct way to handle it. They do a better job of giving Lex what I feel would be worthy opponents. And they're really not doing that with Ahmed Johnson. You, you touched on last week how with Goldberg, they're really going to kind of nail it. And and, I, and you're right. And I can't wait to get there in a few years. I don't know if Macho Man is the right person to make this kind of thing work. I don't, what I mean is I don't, I don't think it has to, be, has to be somebody that high up on the card. But definitely like 
when what they did with the giant was really good. Scott Norton, I thought thought was good. You're not wrong. This is a better way of saying we have a guy who is kind of a monster and we really want to make him look great. I think it's definitely a better way to approach it. I don't even think Macho is necessarily the wrong guy for this kind of thing. And, you know, Macho has been shown time and time again his willingness to put guys over. And this is just another example of that. It seems to me it just feels somewhat, I think it's better than obviously what they're doing with Ahmed Johnson, but it seems like Macho Man is the wrong guy right now because he is the number one contender. And that just, it just seems like, why is this guy your number one contender? He's all banged up. He's getting steamrolled by Lex. It just kind of doesn't make sense. But I think in in a different situation when Macho was not the number one contender, I think this would have been a perfectly fine match. I think it would have been a very good example of the strong man kind of just steamrolling people, even people you know and love. I mean, he's just tearing everybody apart. I think that would have been fine. I think overall the match was fine. I just have that that quirk about, yeah, but he's a number one contender, right? It's kind of, I think he needs to be up on a pedestal at the moment. But it is what it is overall, a good match. And I thought it was handled well. And you're right, even though the Macho Man goes down clean, he is injured. He does miss the elbow drop. There's kind of plausible deniability there. And you mentioned the dungeon. And I think it's important to note, because I know how much you love the dungeon, that we get the dungeon up next. Because they are with Mean Gene and the Horseman. One man gang is in the dungeon now, somehow. And he's also the, the U.S. champion, somehow. I actually know the answer to this. It was a dark match at Starcade against Kazuki Sasaki. And somehow, you, you hand over the U.S. title in a dark match. Starcade and then say nothing of it and the first time we know about it is he's just in a vignette with multiple people wearing the championship okay whatever that's WCW at its finest but the important part here is that Kevin Sullivan agrees to let Arn use the giant at Clash of Champions they are putting their differences aside to destroy Hulkamania Kevin Sullivan says he respects Arn that's why he's doing this but he does not respect Brian Pillman and then Brian Pillman starts running his mouth. And Arn smacks his boy up and tells him to snap out of it and stay focused. And man, don't we love an Arn promo. What do you think about this? This whole segment, this is this is the one Dungeon of Doom thing I think that'll get an A-plus for me. Mostly because it's really not Dungeon of Doom. It's really specifically Kevin Sullivan. The Taskmaster gimmick in this particular promo is completely dropped. It's just kind of man to man. And it's him versus Arn. I think Flair's there, obviously, and the rest of the four horsemen, and they're all in suits, and Pillman isn't. And I love that Arn to- you know, tells him, I thought I told you to dress appropriately. This is a business meeting. Like It just makes me laugh. There's so many great points that Arn brings up from the, you know, if, if the money isn't in this, we don't want to be a part of it, right? That's not the exact quote, but that's the, the gist of it. Things like that are what kind of separates Arn's mic work from really the rest of what's going on. He's tying together this idea that they really should be joining forces and not feuding because the feuding is hurting both their factions. And while they're getting hurt, Hulk Hogan is going to prosper. And that really is a problem. God, I love Pillman's, his, his loose cannon gimmick. It's really starting to take effect. And I also just love what he does. I mean, again, I've mentioned this before. He is what one, two, three kid is on the WWF, but way better. 
Pillman does a great job here. I mean, he he continues it and he says, you know, did you do you hear that? We're the horsemen. We don't fear anybody. Right, double A. And then, like you said, Arn just slaps him. I think he even says, I, I, I told you to keep your mouth shut or something like that. Like that's so such great character work between the two men. Pillman is that guy. He is supposed to be like the little kid who just won't shut up. And Arn is kind of the dad of the group, the one who's just like, no, this is how we're doing things. This does such a great job. The only thing that I will say it, that's negative against us, and this is nitpicking, Taskmaster says that Ric Flair's championship reigns can't be matched by the Boston Celtics or the New York Yankees. Ric Flair at this time has 12 world title runs. At the same time in this in this year, the Celtics had 16 NBA championships and the Yankees had 22 World Series titles. The same sentiment I think could have been said if he was saying there that these title reigns are comparable, but to say that they're better or more historic, it's like, God, it really does. I mean, granted, Kevin Sullivan, it will it's weird because Kevin Sullivan's from Boston, so I can get him dissing the New York Yankees, but why would you diss your Celtics? It makes no fucking sense to me. I don't know. It's nitpicking, it's stupid. But the segment, the overall, the segment is fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed it. How about you, Scott? You know, I wrote down that and I was just like, you know what? Joseph gonna Joseph gonna cover this. It'll be fine. <laughs> I, just, I, I knew I knew you were gonna get to it. I knew you were gonna get to it. No, you're right. My only nitpick is the one man gang thing. It's like what? But that's just WCW can't tell a consistent story to save their lives. I mean, this dude is now in the dungeon. We never saw that happen, and he's got the U.S. Championship that we never saw happen, and he's just there. Like, what are we yeah. doing with that? So that doesn't make sense to me. But other than that, yeah, you're right. You know you. We like the the men talking promos, right? That's kind of what I call them. The the men talking promos, just two dudes talking business. And Arn and the Taskmaster are two guys that are great at that. At, you know, as I've said time and time again, I would really like the Taskmaster just to be the Boston battler. Like that would just his gimmick. He's just a he's just a dude from Boston that just gets into. Just punch fests, you know, with guys, and just goes goes the limit with them, like like Arn, and I think that would be perfect, and that's kind of what this was, and so it was really good. Yeah, I liked it. It was one of the better moments for the Dungeon of Doom. The next match is Public Enemy Rocco 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 Rock. What is his name again? I forget. Rock, I Rocco Rock. Rock. Yeah, yeah. Rocco Rock. And Johnny Grunge versus the American Males, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and Scotty Riggs. So I'll just note that none of these guys are particularly good in this match. I feel like Buff Bagwell, to his credit, is really trying and is probably the best out of them in this one, which is saying something because Buff Bagwell is kind of notoriously known as not a great wrestler. There is an ECW chant, which is relevant because Public Enemy had been a long time ECW stable. And Public Enemy wins, and they celebrate by putting Marcus Alexander Bagwell through some WCW tables. Joseph, what would you think about this one? I inherently don't like Public Enemy. I, I try to be mostly positive with things because obviously... It's a wrestling podcast and all wrestling podcasts kind of go for that shock and awe value of how can we say something that 
is going to make people just like lose their mind. So I'll try to put a positive spin on this a little bit. The most positive thing I can say about Public Enemy is that they're proof that Paul Heyman is a booking genius. Public Enemy was loved in ECW, and they really kind of fall short everywhere else they go afterwards. And I think that's really because Paul Heyman knows how to utilize them. I, I don't really like what they do. I don't know if there's a single match that I enjoy of theirs. I know that they're going to have... Very soon, they're going to have a feud that feels like it lasts for eternity. Even with like all the NWO stuff that's going to be going on, this the same feud will somehow be going on around it. It's really weird. I just don't enjoy them. Basically, a public enemy match, it's kind of like Sabu was prior, or prior to this, where it's just like, okay, you have the match. I do think Sabu matches are far better, but you have the match. And then the point of it is after the match, you're going to put your opponent through the table. I don't even remember if this one breaks because WCW tables are so bad at breaking. It's just this weird thing where like WCW is actually stealing ECW talent at this point. This is like, it's a known thing. I don't think ECW talent work in WCW. They just don't fit. They, they, by, by the same token, they really wouldn't work in WWF at this point. They will in a few years, but they, they just don't fit outside of the scope of ECW. And that's not necessarily the talent's fault in general. It's just that WCW kind of has a very specific vibe and feel and ECW isn't that. And that's okay. ECW has its own thing. And Sabu kind of failed here for multiple reasons. I think neither of us were thoroughly impressed with what he was doing, not because he's bad, but because again, he just didn't fit the mold of what they had. And Public Enemy falls in the exact same category for me. They just don't fit. They, it doesn't work here. Well, ECW is extreme, right? That's in the name, Extreme Championship Wrestling. And I don't think you can do their brand of wrestling on a national, te nationally televised wrestling show yet. I just don't think you can do that. I don't think you can do the kinds of hardcore matches and those sorts of things that ECW kind of became known for yet. You know, I mean, in fact, I remember when they showed the pay-per-view match of Bret Hart and Bulldog, when they, when they re-aired that on Raw last week, they started the episode and, and uh, Bret Hart gets bloody in that match and he bleeds quite a bit. They did a, a disclaimer on that episode that you know viewer discretion advised because of that and if that's getting you disclaimers there's no way ecw guys can do ecw kind of matches at this point they will later you know when we get to tv 14 and all that and we get some attitude and whatnot but right now no you can't do it and so it just doesn't work they they can't wrestle the matches that they're good at and so they're not good here Nothing against them. I think they're great in ECW. That's why they're big names and people remember them and people love them. But this just isn't their bag right now. But what is our bag is another Ric Flair and Sting match because we love us some Ric Flair and Sting matches. They could do a thousand of these and we would enjoy them. Although I don't enjoy this one as much. And I'm going to tell you why. As I said, Ric Flair, Sting match, do you need to say more? I do, because Lex interferes, and he fights with Jimmy Hart over the microphone, which accidentally hits Sting and gives Flair the chance to hit Sting with the figure four and get the win. Ric Flair 
wins. He defeats Sting. He retains the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. It is a 12-minute match. After the match, Sting and Hogan come out, and they talk to Mean Gene. Whose side is Luger on here? Hogan and Savage want to know. Sting doesn't know. He's still seeing stars, and he's going to go backstage and talk to Luger. This gives Hogan the opportunity to be an absolute ass to the macho man, and he's apparently a face. Joseph, why don't you talk about all of this? Because it's all connected in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, like you said in the beginning, right? No one really cares how many times these two gentlemen go against each other. But I also actually found myself not enjoying this as much as we have some of their previous encounters. The problem is this whole thing gets convoluted for me. Like It just feels like this ending is kind of similar to what they did last week with like all the mayhem and stuff. But they're doing it again. But this one's a little more confusing because Sting somehow gets knocked out and doesn't remember what happened, which is really like, what? What's going on? And I think at some point, Mach is telling him, like, you got to go back and look at the tape or something like that. And then Sting's like, oh, I'll just I'll just I'll, I'll go ask Luger instead. And it's like, what? And then and then kind of your point about Hogan, he's just whining. Like, this is the Hogan that you've literally been complaining about for weeks. The just whining and complaining and crying Hogan, where it's like, dude, if you really want the tile shot or whatever, just go take it. Go be go go be the force instead of this, whatever this is. Like, it's just, it's weird. It does move storylines forward. So I'm going to give this a C plus, but it's not my favorite segment. And I'm really sad to say it because it's all put on top of a sting flare match. You may be surprised to discover, but I'm tired of Hulk Hogan. (laughs) And this, yeah, I I mean, you know, again, Ric Flair sting. Do they do a bad match? No, but you're right. The, how convoluted it gets and how Hogan honestly just sours the whole thing. Cause I mean, he really is just an absolute dick to macho man in this promo you know about really about how macho man doesn't deserve to be the number one contender it's his title he should be wrestling for it his name's still on the title blah 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 just just garbage garbage friend stuff which is kind of funny that hogan and savage are on this kick with sting about luger's not your friend hogan's not the macho man's friend like with friends like these, who needs enemies? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Like like Hogan is just, I mean, I don't even know if there's a, a way that I could theoretically spin this to make it enjoyable. It's just crying and complaining. And I, so there's a thing to, to pull back the curtain on kind of what we do, everybody. I I have quite a few people who work underneath me. And one thing that I've said to people who really want to learn how to kind of become leaders and stuff in, in manufacturing is a lot of times people will make the mistake of promoting themselves while tearing someone down. And I always tell them, especially when they're very young, if you do that, I immediately don't want to make you a lead or a supervisor or anything where you're in a, a position of power. 
because you don't know what to do with it. It's fine to think that you're better than other people in, in their job. It's totally, totally fine. But if you're going to promote yourself, do it without tearing a friend or a teammate down. Because if you do make it up, that person is always going to think about that when you're leading them. And it doesn't work. And in the same token, Hogan is doing the exact same crap. He's tearing down Mach to talk about why he should be champ. When you work with somebody and all they do is talk about how much better than everybody else they are, that's the worst fucking employee every time. That person is never a quality worker. And that's what Hogan's doing right now. He is showing that he is not quality. He is not the MVP of WCW. He's not even close. It is not working. And he is holding them back. Obviously, he's going to have a huge resurgence in, in the next year. But right now, he is holding them back. And this really shows why. Jim Belushi going to be on Saturday night. 605, the Superstation. What do you think about that? Huh? That's huh? pretty good. Is, it, is this, is this a, a, a Blues Brothers showing or something? No, he's just he's gonna be he's gonna be on Saturday. <laughs> he's gonna be on WCW Saturday night. Jim Belushi. I don't know why. Oh, Jim, Jim. Oh, not 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 John. Okay, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I'm, the wrong. I'm not. We we segued. I just I did a dramatic and on <laughs> on a signaled segue. Yeah. To tell you real facts. Jim Belushi. They are hyping this. Gonna be on Saturday night, six oh five. TBS the Superstation. Better be there. But you know where you better not be. Where's that? This next match, because we got a Hulk Hogan match. Hulk Hogan and Ming. It's the main event of note. Ming beats up a photographer for no reason. And I'm okay with it because he's a bad guy. I liked it. <laughs> Didn't hate it. I liked it. Other than that, though, this is a Hogan match. He knows sells everything. This is the interesting thing. He cheats to win. Good guy Hogan cheats to win, even when he really doesn't need to because he's won. But he feels like he's just got to add insult to injury. Because Ming tried to hit him with a spike, and Hogan got around it, and he decides that he's going to spike Ming just for the hell of it. And this is our good guy. Everything that's been displayed tonight, he is our top face. And Hulk Hogan defeats Ming 4 minutes, 41 seconds. Macho Man comes out to keep the dungeon at bay, and Hogan and Savage are cool, I guess. Randy should not be talking about Sting's choice of friends. Joseph, what do you make of all this? Again, it's another one I just didn't like. What we're seeing today is everything that you have complained about for weeks. This is really the perfect example of that. It's the whiny Hogan. And then right after the whiny Hogan, you get a standard Hogan match. And no, should Ming, should Ming win this match? No, I'm not even remotely suggesting that. I don't think you are either. But make it interesting. Make, make it worthwhile it's boring it's it's a boring match it, the whole segment got a d for me i didn't enjoy it i found myself like genuinely kind of fast forwarding through it because there's not a whole lot to see there's nothing that's there's nothing interesting about what's going on and that's really a shame because wcw they're starting to hit that lull that we've really talked about a lot where it's just like man this is a drag the show overall was fine but once the hogan stuff started happening it it really took a turn for the worse. I did not like this night of WCW. So I'm really hoping that Raw knocks out of the park. Raw has a real chance with me to win the night because I was not hot on WCW tonight. Did not care for it. Really from start to finish. 
So let's see what Raw's got. I'm excited. I'm excited to be proven wrong and to just see how good Raw is tonight. Let's hit it. January 15th, 1996. Again, the Bob Carpenter Center in Newark, Delaware. We are with Raw. We got Vince and Jerry. Let's hope this is better than WCW. We start off with an MLK Day promo. It's a little weird, but okay. Why is it weird, Scott? Why is it weird? Because uh, because right after we got Sonny in a nightgown on a pool table talking hot to us. And, and then after that, we're hyping the main event and his Undertaker and Dr. Isaac Yankum DDS. And then there's more Billy in there, Ted. You know, and I think I'm done. I'm just gonna I'm gonna take the headset off. And I'm, I'm I'm gonna go and you, you just you just you you, ha- you handle this going forward, right? You tell tell what you think about it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just gonna go ahead and start riffing. First match, we get Marty Gennetti versus Owen Hart. Honestly, pretty good match. It's very well wrestled. It's nice, it's a glorified squash match. I've been talking about this, these kind of things for weeks. You know that Owen Hart's got to win, but Marty Jannetty is a fantastic opponent for him. It gets a C plus for me because there's really no storyline involved, but it's it's a lot of fun to watch. It's one of the better C's that you could have. And right after that, we're just going to go right into the second segment. I want to see how long it can go before Scott goes, oh, crap, I got to take this back over. But we're going to go right back into, oh, shit, we got bad Todd Pettengill again. Fuck, I really liked him for a few weeks, and now we're just right back to the the dog shit that he starts bringing he calls lisa left eye lopez one eye lopez or whatever it's like god why do you got to be this guy i don't know if he's writing this but it's horrible it's dumb then he makes like a bunch of more references that are kind of that thing where it's like look kids i'm hip but it's not hip and it's really he, really he really says, aggravating he's he said he says what's up and it's terrible he, i mean scott, goes, what's up? Scott, i'm 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 handling this scott i am doing this it's bad <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna give a spoiler for Clash of Champions and say you pulled the Bobby Heenan and left, but we haven't gotten there yet. So there we go. I mean, keep going, man. You're on a roll. No, this I, this whole this whole thing is stupid. I didn't even grade it. It's so dumb, bad. Let's move on to the next segment, Scott. You know why, Scott? Because this is gonna bring you back. This is gonna make you happy. I actually want to quickly touch on this rumble report as I wrote yeah. down. Clever, clever, right? Rumble report. You like that? They they may have said that and I just stole it. I can't remember. But I do want to note that we are debuting the free for all. This is the first time they're going to do the free for all. And for those that don't know, the free for all is a pre-show before the pay-per-view to try and entice people into buying the pay-per-view. So I thought that that was interesting. I wonder if this is a sign of they're starting to get a little worried. And they, and especially because they're raising the price, right? As we know from WCW, they're raising the price. So maybe this is something like, oh, maybe people aren't going to watch. Maybe we got to do something to get them interested, give them a little taste, and then they'll pay for it. After that, briefly, we got Doc Hendricks. He's telling us that Razor Ramon is on his way to confront Goldust. Razor is, quote, fed up with Goldust. Exciting stuff. But what's even more exciting than that is. We got a Stone Cold Steve Austin match. Although he's not called Stone Cold Steve Austin yet, he is the ringmaster. And he's wrestling an unknown jobber that goes by the name of Matthew Hardy. Matt Hardy to his friends. Hey, I've heard of that guy. He probably won't last. Yeah, you've heard of him, but not yet. 
because he's going to get squashed. This is Steve Austin, the ringmaster's in-ring debut. Matt Hardy doesn't get an entrance because we use that time to go to commercial where we oh, where we find out that Sonny likes it raw and there's more porno. Billionaire Ted wants some of those WWF generation superstars because his guys are too old, I guess. And we're hyping the Isaac Yankum match. God, what are we doing? I mean, you haven't even let me talk about about Steve Austin yet. So I'm, well, I'm I, mean, I don't know, man. We're we're just so off the rails and disappointment because they're making, WWF they made an OJ it. joke in this. But WWF had us by the palm of their hands. All they had to do was put on an entertaining show, and we would have been like, "This is a clear WWF win." We'll go with the stuff that is good real quickly with with the ringmaster stuff. Steve Austin, we mentioned this last week, he brings an intensity or an attitude that immediately is jarring in comparison <laughs> to the rest of the program. Everything he does in this, it feels different. Like if you just genuinely go watch this episode, ladies and gentlemen, and you're going to hate it. But in this one bit, you're going to go, well, that's completely different because here's the thing. This is a squash match. In most squash matches, I would describe him as kind of spot squash matches so like the point of them is whoever is doing the squashing they wait for their opponent to get in position to do their big moves you'll see ahmed johnson do it a lot a lot of people like him will do it where it's like you're kind of waiting for the next move usually it's because the wrestler is more kind of you know on the green side they're not very technically proficient they're very very young in 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 the field and i get that but Stone Cold, or I guess, sorry, the ringmaster, all he does the whole time is just attack Matt Hardy. Like Matt Hardy never gets a chance to breathe. It's just over and over and over and over. And this completely breaks all my rules on how I judge a match. But this is the only thing immediately to me that is better than WCW. It gets an A. There's an intensity to him that we have not seen on WWF to this point, really. It's it's exciting. Like, you know, I'm a big Stone Cold Steve Austin guy, so I'm probably biased. But you agreed with me on this. When, after we watched this match, I said, this he is different. There is something about him that is just different. It's a game changer. And I wonder if they realized it. I think they do because they dropped the Dreammaster gimmick fast. He becomes Stone Cold pretty quickly within the year. I think they realize they have something here and they put, they start pushing him hard really quick and it's exciting to see. And, and we're, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm not looking forward to the rest of tonight because it's not good, but that was a highlight minus all the crap in the middle that I had to get through to get to it. But after that, Sean does a promo and I know he's your boy, but I did not, I, I did not like this promo. It is the soapiest promo I have ever seen. I feel like he's just phoning it in 90% of the time on this one. But I did write this down. The hopes and dreams of a 12-year-old boy to be the WWF champion still beat in the heart of this 30-year-old man. That about sums this up, Joseph. What did you think about this? Well, Scott, you're wrong and stupid. Because Shawn Michaels is the good. No, this is actually not great. I didn't like it. I mean, the, the boyhood dream thing, that's, that is the iconic tagline. I think they're even going to say it during WrestleMania, but like 
it's it is not great. It, it's not Sean's best work. Sean really is. You you said phoning it in. I don't disagree. He's kind of like, I don't want to say like disappointed, but he just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like there's anything really driving him. Bret Hart is champion. Bret Hart probably shouldn't be champion. Sean's on a promotion that's really not doing very well. Diesel's kind of rudderless. Sean's kind of rudderless. Bret Hart's kind of rudderless. I mean, Taker, Razor Ramon. There's a lot of people who just kind of floating out there. And I think we're seeing that in, in this kind of promo. I, I think it would have been nice if, if Sean really found a way to put a stamp on it. He just doesn't. It's not great. It, it, it got a C minus for me. But after that, we're told that Razor is still coming. He's he's only a few miles away now. I don't know where Razor is driving from, but apparently he's driving all night to get here. Whoop gold dust his ass. And we're getting uh, reports, just minute by minute reports. And Razor is only a few miles away. We'll see. Very exciting. Then we have a tag team match. We got the Smoking Guns versus the Sp- Spiders, and, and you'll like these creative names, Spider 1 and Spider 2, according to my notes. They actually become the headbangers later and have some success as the headbangers, but not today. They are the Spiders, and it is a match for the WWF Tag Team Championship. This is wild to me that this team we have never heard of is going up for the tag team championships because WWF does not have any tag teams. So we're just pulling guys off the street to go at the smoking guns for the WWF tag team championship. And as you can guess, they don't win because why would they win? We've never heard of them before. The smoking guns win. We actually joined this match in progress, even though we're taped. So I don't know if that means that this was if there was more to this match and it was just really bad and they cut it or what, but it goes about a minute. We get about a minute of this match that we joined in progress. What did you think of this, Joseph? Yeah, I, my first note is we start this three quarters of the way through. It's it, the whole thing gets an effort, just presentation alone. It's just bad. Like, who are these guys? Why do we care? It I, I just it's like, God damn, WWF, like. This is, it's supposed to be a new year and, and they're just, it's the same stuff. It's just not good. It's bad. It gets an F. Yeah. Well, they do this time and time again, right? With the tag teams. Cause they don't have any tag teams. I mean, I th- are, are the smoking guns, their only real tag team. I mean, think about it. Can you think of any other where they, where they have a gimmick, you know, they have, they have a gimmick and they have moves and they have all that kind of, is there anyone else? The only one I can think of is the body Donna's. That's it. Yes. Yes. And I think they wrestle them at the Royal Rumble. So we can't use them tonight because because they're yeah. on the card for the Royal Rumble. So yeah. we have to we have to get the spiders to go for the titles. It's just completely uninteresting because we know they're not gonna lose the titles to these guys. Come on. It can't get worse, can it? Oh boy, can it, Scott. We got more billionaire Ted's wrestling war room. Good Lord. Now we've got, uh, they're making fun of Hogan and Savage for being too old. Ted says he wants some of this new generation talent like the, w- the WWF's got. They want, he wants younger guys like they've got at WWF because WCW doesn't have any younger talent. You know, they don't have like Eddie Guerrero's or Crispin Waz or Dean Malenko's or. Alex Wright's or Brian Pillman's or Disco Inferno's. 
They don't have any any young hot talent at WCW. Joseph, what do you make of this? I was like, wow, this guy really spent his time to write all these down, and it just it was a whole ruse to sucker me in and hit me with some disco inferno bullshit. Always was. <laughs> it's weird. Vince Russo is heavily featured in this in 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 this sketch in particular, but a lot of these sketches, it's just bad. It gets an F. These these all get an F. They're all bad. Even the ones that are supposed to be cheeky and fun, they're all bad. They're all dumb. They're all stupid. And the crazy thing is, is like in a few months, WWF is going to be really, really upset with the talent that they're taking. And it's like all these people you're talking about, all this new generation you're talking about pretty much jump ship. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good. Yeah, and and I think you're right that some of the billionaire Ted wrestling rooms are, I guess, at least lighthearted, and I tolerate them even if I don't like them. And some of them are just mean, and they get progressively meaner. (laughs) And then lawsuits start getting fired all over the place because of how mean they get. And uh, and we're, we're we're heading that direction. We're heading in the mean direction. And I'm just I'm liking them less and less and less. And I didn't like them at all. But I will say. Up next, to me, might be the highlight of the night for WWF. And I'm not even joking about this. We've got a Gold Dust promo, and it is so good. He hits every single note. Vince accuses Gold Dust of preying on the homophobic fears of many men, and Gold Dust who refers to Vince McMahon as Mr. Announcer Man. Uh, He asks if he has another microphone in his pocket or if Vince is just happy to see him. And Vince doesn't know what to do with that, and I loved it. And Gold just just does what Gold Dust does best, gives a fire promo, and I loved it. What did you think about this? You you missed the most important part, which is that Gold Dust references the film Tootsie starring Dustin Hoffman, which is a great film overall. Yeah. It got, it got a C for me. It's not, it's not amazing. I do think gold dust is head and tails better than everything else going on. You're not wrong about that. It's just kind of whatever. I do prefer Vince in general in these kind of interview formats than I do on commentary. I've said it before, so that kind of helps, but I could have just been so burnt out on this episode that I just didn't care by this point. I- oh, it's a terrible episode. I was looking for a hero. So so maybe I'm overly, maybe I'm biased on this because I was like, oh my God, so bad. I was like, oh, this is actually okay. I love it. 10 out of 10. But I liked it. I thought it, I thought it was a very good Goldust promo. I thought he did it very well. Although I think this starts, I think they get in trouble for tonight and the Goldust stuff. And we'll talk about it at the Royal Rumble a bit more. But uh, they, they're really playing up, which they weren't doing before, the gay aspect here tonight. They talk about it a lot more. I mean, they say the word gay, which I don't think they've done before. Vince accuses him of, of preying on the homophobic fears of many men. And then ne- during the next match, Jerry and Vince are talking about the Goldust interview. Jerry calls Vince homophobic for the way he handled it. You know, we'll, we'll get into that. But I just, I think that's, I, I think they might've gotten in trouble for this because they start walking it back immediately. After that, though, Razor is here, and the bad man wants to know where the gold man is. He's going to find him, and he's mad. He fed up, as Doc Hendricks told us. But he won't find him yet, because we've got a match. And we've got the match 
of the night, the main event, what you've all been waiting for, The Undertaker versus Isaac Yankum DDS. As I mentioned, since I don't have much to say about the match, Jerry calls Vince homophobic for the Goldust interview. Uh, Lawler tries to intervene and steal the urn chain from Paul Bearer because the urn chain is apparently how Undertaker gets his phenomenal power. He's a phenom. But Taker chases him away. Doc Hendricks tells us that Goldust is going to talk with him after the match. He's apparently got a match with Bret Hart next week that we're going to talk about. And Vince says that Goldust, quote, does not represent the gay community or any community for that matter. What you think about the match and everything going on during this match? Got an F, Scott. Hated it. Didn't enjoy it. I, I, I actually just was so disappointed I didn't take any notes. I just got it just got enough. It wasn't good. It sucks, right? Because the the person playing Isaac Yankum will have a much better gimmick very soon. And we and we love that gimmick. Everybody fake does. Diesel. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. We all love fake diesel. But right now it's just he's dead in the water. It's it's hurt and taker being in this match. Taker will in the next few weeks start to have a very fun program. I think. I think it's much more enjoyable. But right now, it's it's just not great. So it kind of just sucks to watch. As far as the gold dust stuff goes, have we have we talked yet about? I don't think we have. We we haven't talked yet about the kind of post match like attack thing, right? No, we haven't. Do you want to just run into that? I mean, you said yeah, you don't have any notes. Yeah, let's go ahead and run into that because I kind of cover some of my thoughts about that angle that you're mentioning in that segment a little bit more. All right. Well, so we got Doc and Goldust. They're talking backstage, and of note. Goldust 24 carats are on prominent display. But then Razor attacks, and it's it's actually pretty brutal. This this attack, I feel. Uh, you know, we 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 interrupt the mat, we interrupt this attack to to show Sunny in her bathtub saying, quote, we did it for almost an hour. Now that's raw. And, and this seems too much even for Jerry. Because he immediately wants to go back to the Goldust and Razor feud. Goldust is trying to escape. He, he, he comes running out with his suitcase and his coat. But Razor jumps him. The, the suitcase flies open, which I actually thought was kind of a, a, a pretty funny bit. They fight outside into the snow. And Goldust escapes into the night to end the night. Joseph, what would you think about this? So honestly, I, I kind of enjoyed this segment. I thought it was... You you mentioned that the the gold dust promo was the best thing. I think this was the best thing. It it got a B minus for me. The show is not good. It got a D overall. But this I think was the highlight of everything. So I, I kind of started looking into this because I know we're getting dangerously close to WrestleMania. Obviously, we have the Rumble, and then we've got I think another in your house, and then finally WrestleMania. I believe that's the the lineup at WrestleMania. Roddy Piper feuds with Gold Dust. Spoilers, everybody. But I wanted to know what happened to the whole Razor thing. So I started looking into that because you've mentioned them kind of talking about this, whether things are homophobic or not, and you know the gay community and all these kind of things. They are playing on some of these things, obviously, and really going into it. Well, apparently, Razor Ramon was actually pretty uncomfortable with the whole situation. And that news broke, I want to say a few years ago it came out, and it was a big 
big to do, really kind of a, a much ado about nothing thing in my opinion. And it was basically the idea that he was uncomfortable with this storyline. And that must mean that he himself is homophobic, which I think is a large jump. So Kevin Nash talked about this on his podcast, Click This, which I don't believe has Conrad Thompson. So there you go. But the quote is from Kevin Nash. He was very uncomfortable. They did the Goldust angle. He unzips his singlet. Goldust, the character does. And there's a heart. And on the heart, it says Razor. Scott's son, Cody, was like five years old. And when that angle played, he came home. And Cody said, Dad, what does that mean? Scott, who was not a homophobe, told Vince, he goes, if I have to go home and explain this to my kid because you can't just say, oh, well, you know, some men, I mean, you have to go into that hole, you know. And so Scott just said, I don't feel comfortable doing it. That's all it was. It wasn't that Scott was a homophobe. Scott Scott just didn't know, didn't want to teach his five-year-old kid about homosexuality, where now it's a different world. And this got some criticism and saying, you know, oh, he's, he's that still makes him homophobic. And it's like, look, you can speculate about that all day. I think it's really naive. I think I think it's selfish and pretty careless to say that he's being homophobic because I don't think that's factual. You have to look at the climate in 1996. One of the reasons that me and you, Scott, have kind of talked about how monumental this kind of character is because 1996, this was 27 years ago. And three years prior to this storyline, the U.S. Armed Forces created the don't ask, don't tell policy. In case you don't know, I know you do, but for the listener, in case you don't know what this is, essentially, you were allowed to be gay and be in the armed forces. However, you were not allowed to do, quote unquote, gay things, kind of an umbrella term. That'd be like if I said you can like baseball, but you can't watch it, collect baseball cards, throw a ball, or fuck your friend who also likes baseball. Before I will say before that, I mean, and that was an improvement because before that yeah. you, you couldn't, you know, if you, if they found out, throw you out for something like that. Yeah. You're not wrong. So before 1993, it, you know what happened? If you openly liked baseball with your friend in the army, you were dishonorably discharged and thrown in jail. There's literally a whole episode of mash. It's called George about private George Weston who gets drunk with his friends and he accidentally admits that he likes baseball. So his friends beat him up and Frank Burns, a character in the show, wants him to be locked away. That came out in 1974. MASH takes place in the 50s. So from the 50s all the way to 1993, bare minimum, that's what happened to you. But wait, I hear you ask, what if I swear I won't fuck my friend who also likes baseball, but I do want to marry my friend who also likes baseball? Well, you weren't allowed to do that until 2004 and only in Massachusetts. It wouldn't be legal in all 50 states until 2015. Think about that. That was eight years ago. By the time this drops, that'll have been nine years ago. So there's another show called Will and Grace. Will and Grace, which is probably my sister's favorite show. That's not important, but it is a fun fact. So deal with that. That didn't start until 1998. So two years after this takes place. Will and Grace is a phenomenal sitcom that stars Eric McCormack and Deborah Messing, Sean Hayes and Megan Mullally. Will is a gay lawyer. Grace is a straight interior designer and they're best friends. They have been since they were kids. Megan Mullally plays a character named Karen and Sean Hayes plays Jack and they're hilarious. But the point is this show is a huge hit and essentially the first positive gay friendly show ever made. And really for the first season, it was really, really difficult for people to willingly enjoy it or watch it. It was a huge problem. But this show led to more gay media 
being approved and respected because it respected its characters and didn't turn them into just jokes. There were jokes about the characters, but they themselves were not jokes. The show's initial run ended before you could legally get married to someone who also liked baseball. That's insane. So my point is, we like to do this thing where we look at something that happened, you know, we say, oh, it's 27 years ago, but it's like, well, think about the timeline of events. That really wasn't that long ago. The whole gay rights movements that we've seen happened in my and your life, in our lifespan, all of that has happened. You look at the climate of 1996 and you can look at Scott Hall and you can say, oh, it's homophobic. I think that's fucking stupid. I think it's just, it was a difficult thing for him to figure out how to talk to his son about. Obviously, he was able to have those conversations much later, but when you're not equipped and really the media and everybody is kind of pointing this horrible picture about what it means to be gay, I saw this with my wife and she brought up another interesting fact, which is that the HIV AIDS scare was in full effect at this point. And for a long time, it was, if you were gay, you were going to get AIDS. It was just the belief that people had. That it was a gay disease and it was gay people who were spreading it. They were the cause of all these problems. And that wasn't true. But it, you had all this crazy paranoia surrounding a group of people. And you have WWF, whether rightfully or not rightfully, putting together this program and showing a essentially a gay character that they never really call him that. And they're trying to do something that so that nobody else has really done. I don't think they're trying to do it because they're trying to break barriers to be clear. I'm not saying that or even suggesting that, but it is a difficult thing for anybody else to have to deal with. And it's something that Dustin Rhodes himself really struggled with for a long, long time. So again, I just think it's a, it was a weird thing that I started when I started doing research to look at this and go, man, people really don't realize like we haven't really actually grown as a society the way people think we have you know i i do wonder though the question i have though also is like is gold dust i mean you and i both really like gold dust but as a gay character which you know they they try to walk that back they try to cre- create the ambiguity of whether he is or isn't but right now they kind of seem to be leaning into that he's gay or at least that he's using uh, the homophobic fears of many men, as Vince said, to you know establish some dominance in the ring is you know is is he a good gay gay, gay character? Because I mean, I guess since I'll you know I'll get into it because in my research, what I found is that there was actually uh, some pushback on the character from gay rights groups at the time, which kind of led Vince to walk it back a bit and bring Marlena in and create ambiguity, you know, a plausible deniability. Oh, he's not gay. He's got a wife. So I, so I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what the answer here is, but, uh, but all I know is that I enjoy gold dust. I think he's a good villain. And, but, but, but is, you know, is he a positive role model? I don't know. I think that's, that's a really good question. I think it's one of those things been asked a, a lot of times and, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to find the answer for it, but I would say this, anything that was willing to put a character like that in center stage is a positive, even in, in, even though he was a heel and like you said, the, you know, preying on men's homophobic fears and stuff like that. You're, you're not wrong. Those are negatives. Let's be clear. Those are negatives, but without it, you don't ever have somebody ask the question. And that's, the problem is that 
people can talk about how it's his negative character all you want. And to be fair, he grows into a much more positive character many, many, many years down the line. But right now, if he isn't on screen, there's probably a few people, even if it's not a lot, who don't ask the question of why does that make somebody a bad person and force the conversation, whether it's with their parents, their friends or whatever. At the end of the day, is it the best possible press? Probably not. I, I, I don't think I could disagree with that. I would never I would never you know, fall on the sword and say it was, you know, phenomenal for the gay community, but I definitely don't think it was as harmful as a lot of the other things that were going on at this time. Well, and that brings us to the end of this episode of Donahue. Thank you all for your time where we discuss topics of great societal importance. Do you think anyone's going to get that reference? No. Should I say, should I say firing line? Would they get that reference? Are they getting Bill Buckley so. and Firing Line? Oh, no, I don't think uh, so. What about the McLaughlin group? Would they get that? There you go. I was thinking, well, I don't think people get the McLaughlin group. I was thinking about really hard about what kind of like like hard-hitting news program I should reference, but like they don't exist anymore. No, they don't. They they're maybe just like, faked like the view. Like they're just faked in that yeah, format. Yeah, I mean maybe like maybe like real time with Bill Maher or because I mean they they talk about some heavy issues on that He's show. He's a hack. That. Fuck that guy. Well, all right then. On that note, who won? <laughs> Has has to be Nitro, right? Has to be Nitro. Yeah, you know, I hate to say it, but yeah, because I was not impressed by Nitro this week, but WWF was so bad. Yeah, I have to give it to him. But what what do the ratings say? Who who won in the ratings battle? Raw dropped pretty drastically from the previous week. They're at 2.4. And WCW is 3.5. They won this one, and they kind of exploded, actually. So... Maybe people are tired of watching recycled pay-per-view matches and want to watch uh, actual live talent. And that brings us to the end. As always, I'm Scott. With me is Joseph. Have a good one, everybody. Hey, everybody, it's Joseph. Did you like this podcast? Well, we hope that you did. And also that you join us every Monday for new episodes. You can listen to us on Spotify, and soon we'll explore other platforms to bring you episodes of the Monday Night Wars. Did you listen to this podcast and think, mm, pretty sure they're wrong about that? Well, let us know. You can email us at mnwpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's mnwpodcast at gmail.com. And correct anything we messed up. Don't worry, you won't bruise our egos. You can also give us suggestions, follow the show, or even just reach out to us on the following platforms. On Twitter, you can reach us at M-O-N Night Wars Pod. Again, M-O-N Night Wars Pod. And on Instagram and Facebook, you can reach us at Monday Night Wars Podcast. And finally, if you feel like supporting this podcast and also getting bonus content, you can follow us on Patreon at Monday Night Wars Podcast. For the low price of $2 a month, you get every episode of the Monday Night Wars and also every breakdown of every WCW and WWF pay-per-view during this era with more content to come. Again, and one last time, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. We'll see you next Monday back here on the Monday Night Wars podcast.